Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk Podcast. You're here with your host, Ryan McCarthy. Today we are joined by Rosemary Gattuso. Rosemary completed a Master of Law with a focus on dispute resolution practices, including mediation and restorative justice. As a restorative engagement facilitator, she's on the panels for various Commonwealth agencies, including the Defence Force, Ombudsman, the National Redress Scheme and the Stolen Generation Redress Scheme. Her extensive experience working in the family court and her continued commitment to professional and personal development have placed Rosemary in a unique position to observe, learn, reflect and share. Her take on self-reflection and managing adversity through the eyes of trauma-informed family court mediator is the subject of her first book, currently in the process of being published. The book is called It's Not You, It's Me. In this book, a key factor is reflection. There's 31 reflection tasks within this book. They made me really eager to speak to Rosemary, pick her brain with all the expertise that she has, all the value that she has, all the knowledge that she has acquired over the years. And I really wanted to pick her brain around reflection specifically and the power of how reflection can bring positive impacts into our life. In this episode, we touch so much on reflection, personal development, personal growth, being a mediator, what comes with that, being a family mediator, some of the common trends. We talk about her book as well and the process of publishing the book. There's so much juicy content within this episode. I'm keen for you all to dive into it and check it out. But another news. If you could please share this podcast around with a family member, a friend, if you could share it on your stories or even as a post and even leave this podcast a rating, it just helps so much in terms of helping this podcast grow and get into a larger audience and help get this message out there. So if you could do that for me, it means a lot and it's much appreciated. But without further ado, let's welcome Rosemary. Welcome to the show, Rosemary. How are you? Good, 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 good to be here. Yes, yeah, good to have you. Um, when they, when you sent for your book and I read through it, it was so informative but highly valuable, and a lot of it is what I relate to from my own work and what I talk about in this podcast. Like, it's just so cool to see your reflections of life and then being able to implement that so people can have their own reflections in their life so they can begin personal development or to reach a higher self. So, I just want to say welcome and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. I just want to <clears throat> get more into understanding for myself, but also the people listening here. Like, what is your background? How did you get into the work that you do? Um, what's some of the lessons you learned on the way? And what's some examples you can share? But I would like to start with, where did this all begin for you? Well, I guess it really all began with um, my my career, actually, or or my desire to be a mediator somehow um deep down i always wanted to be a mediator not it's not a very common profession and not many people know um what it is Mm. um but after you know studying law i realized that i'm not really meant to be a a solicitor or legal any form of legal practitioner but it introduced me to mediation and i guess how that is relevant to what I'm proposing in my book is because being a mediator means being uh, non-judgmental mm. and being that independent third party. And I guess once I did start working as a mediator, I realised how um, important that 
that part of my role mm. is and well firstly how different it is to the the traditional sort of legal system and maybe the even the default yeah um, approach that that most people have or many people have generally in in life because to sit with someone and be you know show no judgment not to take sides um, and and just listen and 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 sit there and and be with them um, that can really make for really open um, open conversation and then have also challenging or tricky conversations so and and I guess really in my work I noticed that uh, if if my my client and my clients felt that I was being judgmental whether or not I was or it was their, their, their perception is regardless uh, it would make moving forward quite difficult. Yep. So I guess that's where this idea of judgment uh, and non-judgment really started to begin, and it's it's importance, you know, professionally. Um, but then I guess I started seeing overlaps in personal life and friendships where there was judgment and when there wasn't judgment, how things could mm. seem differently. So this this idea really informed. Um, a lot of my my approaches and then I guess as a family mediator I'm uh, working with uh, they normally be separating parents who uh, are just looking for some um, assistance in reaching their agreements around who does what and when mm. their responsibilities so just by way of background I would meet with each parent um, so it's not that I represent one or the other I'm for both of them non-judgmental, non not taking sides for for each one, um, and gosh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was like in saying that? Like, what was some of the first moments, or what was the first moment if you remember that you wanted to take this work deeper and understand more of, especially about human behaviour? Getting to yeah, yeah, sorry. So it was my work with families then, and that really led me to explore. Um, the hidden meaning or the hidden layers behind behaviour and why um, in one mediation room I would see one outcome while in, the, in you know, another mediation room with very similar sort of circumstances uh, I would get a completely different outcome. And so once I became quite aware of that because I guess you do see trends but it's not always predictable. Why is it that in this case things turn out um, going down you know in a completely different path whereas in another in another um, situation you reach an agreement you reach um, I guess a future focus or able to uh, you know come up with an arrangement Um, so that's really sparked my curiosity and then at the same time I started um, studying couples and family therapy yep so, and that's where I really became um, aware of this, you know, idea of uh, tra- working trauma in a trauma-informed way or just working in a way that really um, acknowledges and respects the fact that everyone comes to a situation with their own background. Some of it includes, you know, quite, uh, I'm going to say traumatic experiences, but it doesn't, it's just adverse experiences and that has really shaped the way that they um, perceive and approach 
future uh, circumstances. And that's that difference that, that I was seeing mm. in, in mediation, in the mediation rooms. And so that's where I, I just started studying um, as much as I could or whatever was available on, um, you know, childhood trauma, um, childhood development and just really anything uh, trauma-related. Yeah, because especially in mediation, it sounds like because I first learned this from reading the book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. He talks a lot about observation and being the watcher. I believe that probably translates into being a mediator. But do you feel like you had the realisation of looking within from observing other people? Definitely. Yeah. Because then I'd see, you know, clients respond in a particular way and it would I would be like, oh. Yeah. It would take me back a bit and I'm thinking, oh, I think I'd probably do the same thing. Or, yeah. oh, or oh, gee, that's, you know, and it just really got me thinking also about myself because then I started to, in, in the same way that I could see the trends in clients and even others, then I'd see it in myself. So I guess that also helped me um, to really uh, name what I was seeing as well. Yeah. What was that like at first? Because I know when we have those realisations within, it can be a bit of a shock to ourselves and hard to actually accept it. Like, What was that first few steps like for you? then... That's where it can be a shock. Yeah. And I guess that's also where the importance of non-judgment was really yeah. highlighted because then, you know, I might be thinking, okay, these are the trends that I've noticed and put that together with non-judgment. That's really important. Okay. And then why am I being so judgmental about myself? Yeah. You know, so then it's like, okay, non-judgment is really important. How do we, you know, relay that non-judgment? And, and I guess what I found was, that would be the difference internally between self-criticism and self-reflection. Yeah. And it's important to differentiate the two because a lot of us, probably everyone in the world, is a very harsh critic of themselves. And sometimes we are more harsh than we should be at most of the time. It's important to be able to understand. I think acceptance plays a big part in that because if we don't accept the things that we've done or what we're going through, it's kind of hard to implement things that will push us forward and help us grow in life as well. Yeah, that's definitely a, a big part of it. And, and and I think this can be challenging when the default is that mm. self-criticism or even to overanalyze. Like I, I would classify myself as an overthinker. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would say the same thing. And so that's where the challenge is. How can that trait of overthinking, how can that be beneficial rather than a hindrance? Mm. And how have you found that within yourself? Like what does make that beneficial for you specifically? Well, is actually seeing it as a benefit and not a hindrance is the first thing. Um, You know, because I might get into that mode of, I take too long to make decisions Mm. because I overthink things. But maybe it's, I consider all my options. (laughs) I'm quite cautious rather than, you know, being so hard on myself. And I guess that is where you see the shift from um, self-criticism to uh, self-reflection. Yeah. And that's why reflection is so important because, like, on a personal note, I went and saw a friend, um, it was probably last week, and I said to him, I want to improve my skills as a communicator, like, for the podcast and just for life and public speaking and whatnot. And she goes, why do you feel the need to? Like, what's the deep belief behind that? And I sat with it and I realised that I'm just overthinking things and playing into them and trying to fix things that aren't broken. Like, yeah, there's always room for improvements for things in life, but 
I like this topic about overthinking because it relates with so many different situations of everyone's life as well. And with like, does meditation help? Does breath work help? Like, is there other things that you implement that are actionable? Yeah, there's definitely um, practices. Any sort of mindfulness practice will help, um, you know, sort of tone down that, that part of us that will go into that sort of emotional and, and reactive state and, and really build up that part of us that mm. can get into reflection zone. Yeah, it's so true because especially with meditation, I found that it really helps with just obse- observation of the thoughts. And we're talking before the podcast about Eckhart Tolle. Yep. And he talks about becoming the watcher and detaching. And I think that's an important part to be able to see your thoughts and ideas from a different perspective. So you're not so emotionally attached to them to actually understand that they're serving you, trying to tell you something or it's something you need to accept and move on from. And I think it's, you know, it can be helpful to sort of say, okay, how let's change overthinking into self-reflection and be mindful of, um, you know, the, the quality of our thoughts. But I guess what I was seeing coming from a strengths-based approach because once I started um, – studying and, 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 you know, being a, a couples counsellor, um, I really took on the strengths-based approach and, and even as a mediator, mm. is that the trends that I was noticing in the rooms were really that our um, thoughts, feelings and actions could be categorised under what's wrong yeah. or what's strong. And so when we were overthinking, it would mainly be because we were focusing on what's wrong. And then going towards self-reflection, it would be more towards the strengths. Yeah. And how powerful is that? Just being able to look at things of what's strong. Because I think as humans, we kind of are designed to just focus on what's wrong. Yep. And we forget to see the beauty that's already there or to even look at the success that we already have within us. Yep. And we've already got the strength within us. And I love that you focus on strength-based things because I feel like that can help people find motivation within themselves as well to become better or to improve their situation. Yeah, because when, when we are focusing on the what's wrong in, in any scenario, it makes it harder to move forward mm. and to even, you know, make a decision or, or well, not make a decision, but maybe the, make, the decision in that scenario is don't do it. Yeah. There's too many risks involved. There's, you know, you, you won't make it. They won't choose you, yeah. whatever the case may be. Um, but then when we're focusing on the strengths, it it's, makes it easier to have the courage to step forward. Mm. Do you think that's how, like, especially with um, relationship counselling, do you find with people that focus on what's wrong, they became stuck in their situations and found it hard to move on? It or- can it can be because also I found that what's when you f- look at what's wrong, and, and look, when there are safety concerns, that's yeah. a completely different scenario, but I'm talking about when there are no safety concerns and pretty, you know, sort of day-to-day scenarios um, and, and, you know, I guess in my work when we're dealing with relationships, whether or not as a counsellor or a mediator, um, it's, it's about sustaining uh, helpful, healthy relationships. So, um, so when you do tend to focus on what's wrong in a scenario, I found that that would also keep you in the past. Mm. And so then it's hard to look at future scenarios or make arrangements for the future or even think about having a future focus when the wrongs of the past are still held in the present. Yeah. 
Do you feel like there needs to be a balance of past, present, and future, or do you feel like we need to accept the past as it is, but just focus on the present moment, but have a vision of the future as well? What's your take on yeah. that? Yeah, look, I think it is a a, a, a tricky subject yeah. when looking at um, the past. Really broad, because yeah. it, it depends, like, you know, we do, say if we're going through a major grief and loss, then it's kind of, it's natural to go mm-hmm. in, look at the past. Um, it, I guess it's more when it's not just a grief and loss process, it's I'm staying here. Yeah. That's that's where I guess there there is a bit of a, a potential danger when it's about staying uh, in 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 that past scenario that stops you moving forward. So, and I guess it's it's an individual thing to kind of see. Well, what will help me yeah. move one step forward into the present, so then I can make future plans. Mm. And I love within your book too, especially because I think with the past and future, it all comes down to reflection as well. And you have fairly one reflection task within yes. your book. And I yes. want to talk to you about the journey of finding the fairly one different task and how that first began for yourself because there is a lot of things within those each particular ones that people can implement in different areas of their life and it's just find the ones that do work best but I just want to know more about yourself with those fairly one reflection tasks yeah well I guess the, the idea with the task is that um, there is a way to really implement the ideas that I'm proposing mm. so uh, and, and to make it um, user-friendly so that it's it's based on, you know, the reader's own experience and their scenarios and what's relevant for them. And and so part of it, and, and I mean, some of them come from, uh, I guess, the work that I've done as in strengths-based and, and as a counsellor. Um, so, but, but I did go through all the tasks and did them myself and I gave some of them to friends to do to see, does this, does this make sense? So, the, you know, even just giving the instructions, I don't want to make something too too difficult to yeah. understand but something that is um quite simple and and i mean i think it starts out with um you know simply just noticing thoughts on a particular situation and categorizing them under what's wrong or what's strong just to see are there any trends in the way i'm thinking about a particular situation mm. i think yeah folks especially i love love how you said that because folks on what's wrong, what's strong. And because like in the moments in my life and with people I've worked in in my field, <clears throat> when these do start to focus on what's strong, I start to see them getting results. But <clears throat> it's also not neglecting the past and what's happened as well because that's where, like you said, if a loved one's passed away, that's where a lot of our memories are lied as well. But <clears throat> you like to touch on polar opposites within your book as well, especially what's wrong versus what's strong. You also touched on... Um, unsafe mode versus safe mode as well. Could you touch more on to that? Yeah, yeah. so um, when I started doing a bit of self-guided study in, in trauma and neuroscience, um, I, I, I guess the, in the same way that I categorised thoughts, feelings and actions as being under what's wrong or what's strong, mm-hmm. I found that from, a, I guess, a biological perspective, um, I could categorise, um, come up with two categories unsafe or safe and and I guess what I mean by that is if you look at it that from a very very basic functioning of the brain it's essentially to keep us safe yeah. and look out be on the lookout for threat so mm-hmm. and if there are threats then how can we get back to safety 
So that was my very, very basic kind of way to sort of summarise or highlight where we might be from the brain's perspective in any given situation. And I found that the unsafe scenario um, could correspond with the what's what's wrong scenario. So I, I propose that the closer we are to what's what's wrong or where our thoughts are uh, could go under the heading of what's wrong, then that will bring us closer to the unsafe mode. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. Um, I've been loving this book because to relate with that, you also touched on handling adversity, like the trends for handling adversity, like what's wrong versus what's strong. And especially when people reflect on adversity through their life, it's just an important factor I want to touch on before we move on to the next subject because I think reflection is something that we all need to do more. Yeah, and yeah. and it's, it's you know, as, as I've touched on, reflection is something that, um, can all too easily mm. move into overthinking and self-criticism. Yeah. So and then and then that is is not as helpful because we want to sit into reflection mode or even it's not about being in reflection mode the whole time because yeah. that's you know we're only human but maybe be aware of oh hold on I'm going back into the overthinking in the self-criticism mode how can I shift back? And and also, what have I learned from that? Okay, I'm aware. I I know these are my triggers, or this is this is you know what I uh, can be looking out for or working on um, in the future. So um, yeah, so it's less about staying in self reflection mode, which would come under also what's strong mode in a yeah. situation, all the strengths, uh, all those kind of positives in a particular situation, and also yourself. Yeah. And then saying that, like, how long do you recommend this stay in reflection mode? Is it something you do at night time, something you do in the morning? Well, or I guess I do have some specific um, practices yeah. to, to reflect on, whether or not it's written or meditations or just, you know, kind of your thought um, process. But I guess it, it's, it's more about the ability to catch ourselves out with with less judgment mm. or non in a non-judgmental way to then say oh okay i'm doing that I'm, I'm going back into that criticism mode i'm going back into judgment mode i'm going back into that mode where i'm focusing on hurts of the past it's not helping me okay how do i move forward from there yeah. how do i then move from what's wrong to to the strengths in the yeah. situation so it's more about catching we can um I mean, there are specific self-reflective, self-reflection tasks that, that you can do, whether or not it's weekly or daily or whatever works for you. Even just sometimes meditation will help yeah. that reflective process because it's going to build up the parts of the brain that will, will help us be less, less reactive and yeah. in the responsive um, mode. Do you think it's important to implement any gratitude with reflection as well? Yeah, look... If, if gratitude works with you, yeah. then, um, you know, because that's also about, I mean, I do daily gratitude um, practices because I've got, you know, a planner that has it. Yeah. So it's, it's easy for me to, to implement in my day or, or to, to fit it in because it's, it's, it's on the page every day. So, and I guess that's also about making you think about the events of the day mm. and, it, you know, Every day doesn't have to be so 
amazing. Yeah. It's just we have day-to-day moments and it could be, you know, I'm grateful for the barista who made my coffee this morning. Mm. It could be something because it just makes you think on that day and think, oh, what, what was really good about today? Yeah. It doesn't have to be great. It's just something that, you know, that, that really helped me today. That made my day or I'm glad mm. that, you know, I had that interaction. Yeah, and I think it's a key to make it simple as well because I feel like so many people can try and idolise the big things and they forget about the little things that happen in their life. Like I had this reflective moment just out of nowhere the other day and I was just sitting in my kitchen. I'm like, how grateful am I to have a house? I was like, there's so many people that don't have a house and it made me really just reflect out of nowhere and just be happy and grateful of in that moment. So I loved how you touch on just the little things, even like drinking water, clean water, and it's just finding things that are strong as well and going back to that. And I think um, our society has a tendency to look towards what's wrong. I mean, you turn the TV on, you turn, you know, social media on, anything you you turn on, and we are either given um, images of what's wrong in the world or it's also um, we can be given images that might lean us to highlight what's wrong in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah because we see what other people have or what they're doing mm. and it highlights for us what we don't have or what we, we aren't doing. Yeah. So that's also that. And that's sort of not as obvious as we turn on the news and it's all, all this you know, <coughs> negative yeah. thing. It's, it's also how we perceive and interact with the stimulus around us. Mm, because with the news, <clears throat> that's something I personally took away from my life is being engaged in things that do focus on what's wrong and all the tragedies that have happened because I felt like the more I consumed that content or the news or social media, I started to feel that way within myself as well. <clears throat> and you feel like with people it's important to detox the things that are externally that might reflect that internally. Yeah, it, it can be. I mean, if that helps for you <laughs> to, um, I guess, realign yourself or, or help see less of what's, what's wrong then yeah. that's um, definitely helpful. And, it, you know, I guess one of the the um, ideas that I propose is uh, a screen detox or a social media detox or, or, you know, whatever your medium is that, that can be a bit triggering yeah. and, and highlight, what's, highlight what's wrong mm. in you. I, I guess if we watch something and it makes us highlight what's wrong in us, uh, okay, we can shut off that external factor. But it's also a clue for us as mm. to, you know, highlighting <coughs> where we can focus or yeah. what would help us so that we aren't as um, affected or impacted by that external stimulus. Yeah. And do you think the subconscious mind plays a big role in this? Because the subconscious mind is on automatic, like 90% of the time. So the times we are conscious and the things we're implementing is getting programmed to our subconscious and that's how we're on autopilot. Do you think it plays a big part think, in all this? Yeah, I mean... I think so. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not that knowledgeable on, you yeah. know, that that area. But I guess what I have noticed is these. Um, we look at what's happening, but we, but it also highlights what's not happening. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's there's there's things that are implied, and that's how I see um, that uh, working out on for the the individual because. I might see something and then it implies that, you know, I need more or I don't have enough. Mm. So I guess that, that's where, um, where my focus 
would be there, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, because especially, like, I believe, and you can give me your perspective too, like, the world is our mirror, so the things that we see can be a reflection of parts of ourselves. It's like if you see something that triggers you, like where does that relate with you? If you see something that motivates you, where does that relate with you? Yep. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, and and I mean the way that I um, sort of uh, illustrate that mm. is if we have a, reach a situation in our life and we might get to a T intersection and so if we go to the left, that will be the what's wrong path. And if we go to the right, that will be the what strong path. Now, whichever path we choose, while we're walking along that path, we will receive more evidence to back up mm. that what's wrong in that situation or what's strong depending on which way we've, we've, we've walked. So, you know, if, if you think, oh, my gosh, this person's going to rip me off, mm. then we've gone down the what's wrong path and we are going to be receiving um, more evidence that really backs that up. Yeah. Oh, yes, he left out that or she didn't do that or, you know, mm. I need to be careful here. That's so true because when we have a belief in our mind, we unconsciously do things to try and seek that to validate it. So we try and look for answers to make that true because it's all evidence-based. So if you start focusing on what's strong and start finding evidence and building that towards yourself, you're going to see yourself embodying those beliefs, which will then change the, probably the trajectory of your own life. That's right. And, and I guess the challenge is, is mm. that for many people growing up, the what's wrong path was highlighted. Mm. So going to the what's strong or, or highlighting the strengths in a situation can be, um, I guess, against the default or against the norm. And so it takes more energy yeah. to actually go there, whereas it's easier. And, and biologically, we're programmed to be paranoid. We're programmed yeah. to be on the lookout for threat. So it's easier to take that path. Mm. I've seen that, especially with schools and growing up, because growing up plays a big part in our development. And I know with schools specifically, um, a lot of the time they can focus on what's wrong, like you failed, you, you need to improve, you need to do this, and you need to do that. Is there anything that young people, schools or parents can do to help their children focus on what's wrong? Because I know a lot of the times we can try and, focus on what's wrong to help them better themselves, which yeah. can be beneficial too yeah. in times, but is there any practices that parents could do specifically? And I think that there's merit in that merit-based yeah. um, approach in schools, but it's also helpful to look yeah. at strengths as well. Yeah. And I guess the, the example that really comes out to me about this is, is, is particularly in schools is the fact that um, students nowadays receive a participation certificate mm. if you know they participate in a competition or, or whatever the case um, is. And I know there has been a bit of um, discussion about that because perhaps you know sort of our generation or yeah. would have received uh, merit-based, certificates and there was less focus on participation mm. um, but what I find is that the participation certificate is actually strengths-based mm. and it's going down the what's strong path for for students so it's saying you know you put your name down and you participated yeah. when you didn't have to yeah. you, you, you know you did it uh, and even if you had to you still did it mm. so that's highlighting you know on you for trying for, for 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 participating 
And it's also focuses on the highlight is on the individual, yeah, rather than the rest of the, the student body, because mm. the, the merit base then says, how do I rank in relation to everyone else? Mm. And there is merit in that. I'm not saying there isn't, but if you look at it from maybe a self-esteem, sense of self perspective, if the measurement is always others, mm. then what your what your your goals are then going to be in comparison to what other people's goals are or what other people are doing, mm. um, which we get enough of that in social media and, and just general outside. So, I guess that's one example that I used yeah. to to highlight actually focusing on the individual from a strengths based mm. perspective. Um, so I think in in schools that is. Um, is quite helpful. I know a lot of people yeah. disagree um, with, I love, with that. Yeah, I love that perspective on because there is a bit of controversy around participation trophies. And I understand the people that say you shouldn't get them, but I believe people should receive participation trophies because, like you said, it's a reward for trying. And it's, an, it's a reward for an attempt to try and do something that they might succeed in or at least putting their name down. And that can motivate them to keep going or try again and try again. But if you knock someone down for trying, it's not going to really motivate them to want to push yeah. on and keep doing great things well the motivation is external it's because yeah. i want to be better than everyone else yeah and then and that's there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes we do need external motivation and that can help and 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 drive us but then at the same time what does that then mean for our sense of self that our sense of self mm. and our self-esteem is really guided by what we're doing in comparison to another yeah the, the, the spotlight's on them Whereas how do we shift the spotlight onto us On, yeah. from a strengths-based perspective? Mm, because we can, as humans, often externalise motivation. Like with that example, or we can use negative motivation as in this person said, I can't do this, so I'm going to use the energy to yeah. go and do it and prove them wrong. And do you think we need a balance of them all or we just need to completely focus on self no, or look, it depends? I, th I think it's about balance because yeah. sometimes, you know, we might – procrastinate i know i can be a, a yeah. big procrastinator and then i might see oh okay i'm gonna get not that i'm gonna get left behind but sometimes seeing other people mm. make decisions that are similar to what i'm sort of struggling with yeah help me you know it's not always strengths-based i know yeah. but if it's going to help me then move into action mode i guess there's no harm in that yeah we all do that yeah um I, think I guess what what I am, am pointing at is, well, is the spotlight on ourselves and what we want to do or is the spotlight on the other? Mm. And sometimes it can be on the other, but I guess I'm proposing that we put it on ourselves as much as we can yeah. to then help nourish and grow ourselves. Mm. So it's like identifying if it's actually our goal that we want to attain yeah, and then we use whatever motivation comes that aligns of our goals to push forward as long as there is a balance between the external and internal motivation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's always yeah. going to be, be both. That's yeah. fine. It, it's just, I guess, when we focus on our own self, then that merely strengthens our, our confidence mm. and our courage and our sense of self so that we look less to others. Yeah, that's so true, and I think it's important that you touched on identifying if it's actually your goal that you need motivation for. And because, like, on a personal note, like with the gym, when I first got into the gym, 
sometimes I was motivated, sometimes I wasn't, but my gym partner would then externalize that motivation for me to push and go when I didn't feel like it. But overall, it was to complete the goal that I had. I think, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to finish it off with that summary. Yeah, because we're yeah. only human. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's, you know, what's going to work for, for us and, and, and help us because sometimes we do, uh, we do need external um, motivation and that can be quite helpful. Yeah. I'm just saying, well, if where it's detriment, not, not I mean, it might, might not even appear detrimental, but where our goals and our beliefs are always in comparison to another, mm-hmm. that's where it's like, well, how can we reflect on this and to really isolate what our goals are and, and mm. what the, our motivation is? Yeah, like reflect on what your own beliefs are and your own values because as we grow up through life, whether it's schools, parents, friends, we can adopt other people's beliefs and values and then we might feel like we're not aligned with our purpose or we're not aligned with our goals or, or what we want in life. So, yeah, just being able to reflect on what your own beliefs and values are and understand if they're actually true to you yeah. or, or if they're adopted by someone else. Is that something That's that... That's right, yeah. yeah. And and I guess, um, you know, I've also picked up that there's a lot to be learned from what's happening and what's not happening. So if we have a goal that we sort of identify with as someone else, they're doing that, I want to do that, or I'm, I would yeah. like to achieve that, or I want to buy that, or whatever the... the um, the case may be, I guess, firstly, we've, we're putting the spotlight on someone else and not ourselves. So that can be sort of a, a, a clue to, to where, where our sort of um, thoughts are going. But it's not, you know, um, it's not an indicator that it's bad, but that's just a clue. And then I guess the other thing is when we have those thoughts, we've got the spotlight on another and it's from a what's what's strong mode mm. in that person. Yeah. And then the flip side is then it's highlighting what's wrong in ourselves because we don't have that. It's our deficit that we yeah. – so we want to achieve, you know, strength like the other person has a strength. So um, I guess what I'm proposing is that ways to then shift the spotlight onto ourselves from a strengths-based pro- pro- um lens on ourselves rather than the other and strengths based for them yeah and talking about this i feel like it would make like it's a really important trait for leadership skills as well being strength based because i know sometimes leaders can want to focus on people's weaknesses and then try and bring them up that way i feel like to get the most effectiveness and also the most um out of the team that you got is to focus on strengths yes that's so true and i guess for me one of my first experiences of being in a strengths based organization was my first job as a family mediator because the the manager there was extremely strengths-based and so what I found is that the more strengths-based she was with me the more strengths-based I was with myself yeah and you could see that in my own personal and and professional development Mm, and that would build confidence as well self-esteem self-belief and all these other positive things that will push you through life as well. Because when I first started working in mental health, my team leader was amazing at the time. He was just, he just constantly just would tell you everything that's good about you, everything you're doing right. Like obviously there would be times of reflection where you say you're not doing this because that's important too for growth. But majority of the time is all about strengths. And I felt like that made me not just a better worker, but also a better person. Yeah. And, and it's true. There's, there's two, you know, as I, I always view situations as, 
there's two characters, the self and the other, which is everybody else. Mm. And so even in that situation where working in a strengths-based environment, then you feel more strengths-based, you receive strengths-based management, I guess, and and, yeah. and you become more strengths-based about yourself in relation to yourself and also in relation to others with clients. And that's what I noticed that the strengths-based approach I found beneficial for myself mm. as, as, a, as a mediator there. But then I was also being implemented in the mediation room with mm. clients and I could see the benefits there. Yeah, do you feel like as a counsellor or as a mediator, when people first come to you, they may think that there's something wrong with them, so there's something like... And well, they that's focus, the default yeah. because it's, it's already in a sort of um, a deficit approach because, you know, I go to someone because I've got a problem mm. and I can't fix it myself. So yeah. it's already in, in the what's wrong yeah. I can't do it. I need yeah. to go to another because they can help me fix it. Do you find that it's a bit of a shock to them when you start focusing what's strong instead of what's wrong? It can because for, for many people, you know, they haven't had experience either with mediation or, or even with a counsellor, but particularly, you know, mediation because it's sort of, a, you know, uh, a, a, not a regular occurrence for most people. And so they can go in expecting one approach expecting me to make a decision or expecting me to give them a solution and then realize well actually we're just as capable of making our own decisions Mm. um and 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 my role is really just to facilitate their conversation Mm. like everyone already has the answers or the success within them it's just helping them move all the things out of the way to identify it yeah i mean Yeah. yeah and i guess i also have you know talk about as long as there's no safety concerns. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's also not to say that clients who come in and aren't able to reach, you know, their own solution um, because it, it, I guess everyone is at a different stage in their life and mm. me as a mediator facilitating uh, or even a counsellor, that sort of dialogue, I can... I've got to be guided by, I guess, the the pace of all parties. Mm. So, um, you know, and and I'd say, well, then the pace would be the pace of the slowest party, just to put it in that, you know, it's not very strengths-based, but it's more about respecting where everyone is in the room Mm. and providing uh, a space for everyone to feel uh, comfortable or confident to to move forward yeah. and so if that means that there's no agreement or that perhaps going through having a solicitor mm. next to them yeah. or representing them can get a better outcome yeah. or, or be more beneficial in that situation, uh, then that's that's something that, that can, can be arranged. So Yeah, and coming back because this will tie in with this, like coming back to the past and present talk we talked about before and the future as well and find the balance between all of them. Um, like is there anything specifically that helps with identifying a vision and implementing practices that will get you there but in a healthy way that you've seen? Yeah. Um, yes, I do have a reflection task on, you know, f- helping to focus on um, – past and present and I guess it's more about us being able to highlight um, where that situation is how close it is to us Mm. Um, and I I use kind of an externalization 
um, practice to externalise that situation and sort of gauge how close am I to that situation? Yeah. You know, am I, you know, directly near it or am I moving away from it and getting closer to the present mm. or the past? So that would be kind of the first uh, step yep. and then look at, okay, well, how close is this situation to me and what could help me move further on mm. um, so that I, it, it, I am more in the present? Mm. Um, yeah, and and I guess, uh, and I mean, I've got the full um, reflection task uh, in, in my book, but I guess why I, I talk about past and present is because when I looked at what I call, say, survivors of adversity, which could be that, I mean, I looked at celebrities, I looked at people that I know or people that I've heard of, I found that even though there were people who were severely wronged or had really, you know, traumatic or challenging experiences, they were able to turn that into a triumph. Mm. And I guess what I thought was that, they, or I guess my hypothesis was that they moved, they were able to detach from that situation mm. and look more to the present and future about, okay, well, this happened. How can I then step into the, the next step? And from a strengths-based yeah. perspective as well. So rather than sitting in, I can't believe this happened to me. This stuff always happened to me. I'm never going to succeed. I'm not. It was more about, you know, okay, drawing a, a line in the sand yeah. and saying, well, what are my goals and what do I want to achieve? Mm. That's so true. I know especially for myself and a lot of the listeners here would um, relate. It's just a lot of big turning point in our lives is when we draw that line in the sand mm. and we start focusing in the other direction. And it's, I mean, it's easy to say. Yeah, it's easy and, to say. And harder <laughs> to, to actually implement. And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of needing time for, like, I guess that the standard sort of, not standard, but the grief and loss process will allow for that yeah. process. But it's more about, well, you know, it's been, you know, five years, it's been 10 or, or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, and why am I still focusing on this, you know, past? Yeah. And I guess it's – and sometimes we don't realise. That's, that's, that's the, the thing because when terrible things happen, it's, it can be hard to, mm. to detach from them. Yeah. But I guess what I, I noticed, um, you know, in myself, in my clients, in even kind of celebrities that I sort of looked at their lives and, and what they did or – is that they really had a future focus about mm. things. And even like one example that I use in my book is Taria Pitt, who was caught in um, a grass fire. And so she had to have so many surgeries and, and things to, for, to recover from terrible, terrible burns and to be even able to walk. Mm. You know? and, and she did so. And, and I guess um, through all those struggles and, and, and challenges, um, had, I mean, my, my hypothesis is that she had a future focus on, I do want to walk again. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, that's quite a significant yeah. <laughs> thing, you know, but uh, for me it, it highlighted the, the importance and impact mm. of having um, 
those those kinds of, of goals or look even just focusing on the future okay there there, there will be you know mm. uh, something else yeah because it is a journey and I, like you said it can it can happen a year three years 10 years and i think we think about a lot of the time we forget we're human sometimes yep. and we try and make things so perfect that we forget that you know things take time it's a journey and we have to take the steps to get there as yep. well and there will be trials and tribulations on the way like even for myself probably took about two years to get to a point where I was more strength-based. Yeah. That doesn't mean now I don't have moments where I think about what's wrong. Mm. It's just finding ways to snap out of that and draw that line in the sand again and just bring your focus back That's to right. what you know. Because it's not – like it'll be impossible to yeah. kind of stay in that strength-based mode mm. all the time and, and to focus on ourselves and not worry about others or other situations. It, it's more about – that awareness of hey, I'm going down there, or I went down there again. Yeah. So that's okay. Now, how can I, you know, um, use that to move forward, or use that in future scenarios? Yeah, and I want to f- um, finish this "what's wrong versus what's strong" part um, from a quote from your book. Actually, I read this quote from your book. No, I just thought it was amazing. I want to read it out. It's a few sentences, so bear with me. But you said at the end of chapter one, you said. The characteristics of the lacking were words of judgment that lean towards what's wrong. If we apply the idea that there are valuable learnings to be had when we explore opposites, what's not happening, the opposite of lacking would then logically look to the words of non-judgment that lean towards what's wrong. When I read that, it was just like a light bulb moment for yeah. me. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's where using opposites hmm. can help, really help our, and guide our reflection because if I'm focusing on what's wrong then what am i not focusing on or yeah. if i'm focusing on the strengths then obviously i'm not focusing on um, the weaknesses or, or what's wrong in a situation and that can be helpful yeah 100 percent. and with your book like what was the motivation even starting this book because i know you've had a lot of experience in the field was it you had all this information and knowledge and you just wanted to share it with the world like what was the motivation well, look i started seeing trends in you know in in managing adversity and and i mean i I wouldn't have called it that it's just i noticed something's happening in one room and other in other sessions completely different and then it became almost predictable Mm. because where the trend was to focus on what's wrong then i kind of thought well this is going to be a little bit more challenging than where they're focusing on um, what's wrong Mm. and so I guess there's there's a couple of of I guess inspirations for that, but I, I had been writing for probably ten years, yeah. writing stories, and so when I uh, I guess I noticed these these trends. Um, I mean, there's one story as to how it became an <laughs> a, a tool, but then one story as to how it became a book. So, but to become a book, I was writing stories. Um, about people who were actually living these what's wrong and what's strong Mm. approach and so I wrote a book and at the end of that that you know that story uh, I had a a chapter that was all this kind of strengths base and and what's wrong what's strong analysis of the main character and as part of that journey I realized that um if I'm going to write a book, I can't have fiction and non-fiction in the one. And so after some guidance from some editors and 
uh, you know, entering competi- you know, a writer's competition, which yep. obviously I didn't win, um, it, it inspired me to rewrite the book mm. um, as a, a complete sort of self-help book. So that final chapter then became uh, a complete book. Yeah. Because I've, I've read, like I've re- like I love books, audio books mainly, but I do read physical copies. I do believe personally this is one of the best reflection books that I've read. Like, I'm going to recommend this to people because especially with failure on different tasks and then all the value and information jammed in, in between all that, it's unreal. I'm oh, like, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and I guess I find that growing up, I did have a different perspective or a different way of seeing things to everyone else. And that was a little bit challenging because sometimes it was harder for me to learn mm. things, yeah. you know, <laughs> concepts in the sort of traditional way. But then at the same time, I guess it showed me um, an, another way of learning. And, and so I, I tried to really implement that in the way that the, the chapters are set out and the reflection task to really put in practice what I'm proposing. Mm, and like that just goes back to focus on your own strengths, like find out a way that you can learn. Because with myself, I couldn't learn from like the traditional educational system. Like I couldn't learn by sitting down doing one thing. Like I'm a kinesthetic learner and I like to learn by multitasking. So if you go into my Audible, I've got like three different books going on at once. Yep. But for me, that's the way I learn. And it's just being able to identify what your strengths are there. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's good that you mentioned the audiobook because I've also um, did uh, recorded the audiobook because awesome. personally I I rely on audiobooks because yeah. I'm 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 a terrible reader. Mm. So I mean that's really not strengths based, but I'm I'm better at listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I did um, record the audiobook mm. as well because I know that I I would not have read um, not even half or, or, you know, most of the books that I have mm. if it wasn't for the audio version. Yeah, I'm the same. I love audio books. I find they're just more easily digestible. And it also helps with time as well. You can listen to it while you're driving, yep. while you're cleaning, mowing the lawn, like That's whatever. Right. Yeah. How did you know when the book was finished? Like how did you know like at the end of it, you're like, this is, this is it? Well, I did have a lot of support um, yeah. because, as I said, I – I entered um, the Hay House Writers' Competition and, I mean, I didn't win that, but then through that uh, I got linked in with some editors who would help me, you know, Mm. sort of fine-tune where I was at and and where I could go moving forward. So I always had, you know, good um, sort of professional support around me to to sort of guide, you know, um, where I'm at and and, and if there was anything – uh, else that could um, mm. be included or, or in my case I had too much yeah <laughs> so and that just shows the importance of having the support network around you like a team around you that you can go to and get their opinion on get their perspectives on so, because yeah. I think too many people can try and do things by themselves and try and focus in on it but I find that when you have people around you you're able to see different perspectives that's why like counselors are awesome because they're able to see things from a different box and ask good questions too I think that's a really good point and particularly because I'm self-publishing and I mean I had I started off with a publish with with a a traditional publisher then went to assisted self-publishing and then went to self fully self-publishing so that's (laughs) another story but what I found is that traditional publishing really focuses on what's wrong in 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 the writer you know and what their, their work is um, so 
that and that was huge for me to to come to that that realization and then I think also traditional publishing industry um, really doesn't acknowledge the role of the writer mm. uh, as, yeah. uh, as so and because you know my book that's my uh, now I see it as my property yeah it's my intellectual property so if I you know own a house then and I want to I need to get repairs done to it I might yeah. get a few quotes and make sure that the people that come onto my house are people who I feel confident with yeah but I, f- I felt that in the writing industry it was just well you're a first-time writer take whatever you're given mm. and that's it take yeah. it or leave it and if you don't like it too bad because mm. you know basically you've signed a contract with us so yeah. it's, it's whatever we want to do with your book and, yeah. I, and I thought gee that's really not strengths-based mm. and so I'm so glad you know, uh, uh, when that fell through um, because then it really gave me more more ownership yeah. and, and then I linked in with um, some, some really helpful um, professionals who were able to give me some guidance. That's amazing and that's inspiring within itself to have that because you, you stuck with what truly aligns with you. Like I'm not sure if you know who David Goggins is. No, I don't. So David Goggins, he published a book called Can't Hurt Me. And it's basically, he's basically this dude who um, had a lot of trials and tribulations, went to Navy SEALs against all odds, trained in Navy SEALs, and after that became a marathon runner. Like his life's incredible. But when he first wrote his book, publishers said, to basically chucked the book back at him, said, but they don't want it, or they're offering them like crazy contracts. And eventually he self-published it, and it became like one of the best-selling books ever. And it just shows the power of, you know, if you stick to your guns, you have a team yeah. around you and you stay with things that truly align with you and strengths-based as well, yeah. like things can really work out in a good way for you. Yeah, I think so. And that was quite evident in my publishing journey because I started it thinking, you know, I'm a first-time writer, I've got no experience mm. and I don't know if my book is, is any good. Yeah. And then, um, I, you know, and then it sort of helped me move forward to see the strengths and really have – um, have faith in in you know the concepts that that I'm proposing and want to actually do it on my own. I mean, when I started, there was no way I would even anticipate being a self self publishing, and now I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and like someone like myself who's obsessed with self improvement and self improvement books, like I'm definitely gonna recommend this book to people that I know that will benefit from it because yeah, I think it's one of the best reflection books out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank no you. Do you have any um, final words? Like how will people find your book when it's released? How can people connect with you? Yeah, um, well, probably the easiest way is to connect with me either on Instagram, Facebook or even LinkedIn yep. and, uh, or, or on my website you can um, subscribe and, and to get updates. So I'm hoping to launch by end of, end of winter or early okay. spring. So I'm really at that you know, final, final stage is printing, so... Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But um, I'll link all that in as well in the bio of this episode. So if you're listening, jump in the bio. You'll find your LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. Check out the book. Can't wait for it to come out and get a physical copy. But thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Cheers.